Uh, Our first reading this evening is from Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 19. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Our second reading is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 to 17. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. This is God's word. Uh, Good evening. Let me have my welcome. My name's Matt Fuller. It's lovely to uh, see you, or um, I'd love to meet you afterwards if we've never met. And uh, this evening, then, we start looking at uh, uh, this section, Genesis 25 to 35. It's terrific stuff. And so let's pray together as we begin. Father, thank you for uh, the many talented people you have given to write songs. We've sung some wonderful songs of your grace and how we need it, how we can rely upon that and trust that and not ourselves. And so please, as we begin to look at this cycle of the life of Jacob, would you drive that truth deep into us so that perhaps more than ever, our hope is built upon you and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ Rather than our own merit, we pray in his name. Amen. So that then is really Genesis 25 to 35. God's promises don't let go. 
that's really the story of Jacob. God will not let go of this man and his family, despite the fact, in all honesty, they're horrible. They're horrible. God's promises won't let go. We have some uh, family friend, a single mum. She adopted a young lad aged eight, and uh, he's now in his mid-thirties. And it's been complicated for her. He uh, turned out to have Asperger's. That wasn't obvious when she adopted him. So very high IQ, very bright, uh, a little awkward. Um, and uh, But his sort of extreme character has driven him, or perhaps just on his own. But he'd end up being an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler. So it's been hard for his mum to deal with. He, from as long as uh, I can remember, has stolen from her. To, uh, to feed his addictions of different kinds. But he's smart. So it's not just um, stealing, pilfering from the handbag. Uh, he now knows when her pension goes in and he hacks her bank account and takes it out. He, he goes home maybe about twice a year. He, he lives in the north of England now. Uh, he goes home probably about twice a year, no warning. Turns up, he's always a complete mess, uh, but turns up and stays for a few days, eats the house, uh, the cupboard's bare, sort of gets his washing done, takes whatever he can find, and disappears. And then mum will have no contact until he turns up again, whatever, eight months later. Not the best son he'd ever have. But she's been very good to him. And of course says, he's my son. I promised 25 years ago that I would look after him, and I will. That's very noble in that. But also slightly tragic, because despite the fact, the promise of her love, it doesn't change him. It helps him, but not fundamentally. But we could look at this section, really, Genesis 25 to 35. God promises to love his people, and he will never let them go despite their poor behavior, despite their, that will take, take, take him for granted. He won't let us go. And actually, his grace is strong. His love to us is strong, not tragic. It'll change us as well as time goes on. But the Lord promises he'll never, he'll never let his people go. Uh, Genesis, uh, if you've not been around, uh, we've been sort of vaguely over three or four years uh, working our way through Genesis. Genesis, in essence, as a whole, if you wanted to try and summarize the book overall, it's the story of God is determined to bless one family and grow it into a great nation. So you really get the sort of prologue of Genesis 1 to 11. That's a slightly dismissive summary. But uh, the prologue of 1 to 11. Uh, Then chapters 12 to 25 are the story of Abraham. God makes promises to Abraham and asks him to trust him. Abraham is the big figure. Then 25 to 35, it is Jacob. Uh, and then 37 to the end of the book is Joseph. So those three patriarchs dominate uh, uh, the whole story. So what we've come to now is uh, Jacob's story. It doesn't quite start off. Well, that's not how it's described. In the Bible, Hebrew Bible, no chapters and verses. They've been imposed uh, later on, which is helpful for you and me. But the author signals the sort of chapters in his own mind with this phrase. So chapter 25, verse 12, this is the account of... one word, toledot. But anyway, this is the account of. That's him saying, I'm changing, this is a new section now. 
So it's chapter 25, verse 12, is section 7, I think. This is the account of, and we get told all about Ishmael and his descendants. Not a lot. He's not that important, with all due respect to Ishmael. But then uh, chapter 25, verse 19, this is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Actually, mostly about Jacob. But this goes then for 10 chapters until chapter 36. This is the account of Edom, another section. Okay, so chapters 25 to 35, all one section. And really two things we'll notice as we go all the way through. One, God promises to save this family and to bless this family. And his promises never let go. Two, they're miserable. They're really, everyone fights in Isaac's family. Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, fight. Jacob and Esau, fight. Uh, Jacob and his cousin, Laban, fight. The two women he marries, Rachel and Leah, fight. We kind of, you know, not perfect. Um, There's just fights. Jacob and his sons, they fight. If you read this section, it is, I'm no great expert on such things, but it is like a tawdry soap opera. It's not pleasant. None of these characters are edifying particularly. They're all pretty nasty. So it may or may not help you to, as we work our way through this, to, to, to sort of view it through the lens of a, a, an EastEnders or whatever your fancy is. I am really no expert. But you could read sort of sections 30 to 34 as two East End brothers having a scrap with one another. Verse 30, quick, brav, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Here you got to sell me your birthright. Bit of argy-bargy. Look, I'm going to die. It's all sort of fairly unpleasant. None of the characters are nice. You're not meant to say, oh, they're lovely, because they're not. God makes wonderful promises even to deeply unpleasant people. What we have here in this section, uh, chapter 25, 19 to 34, it's the overture. So you get all the major themes that are going to crop up in the next 10 chapters here. It's the overture to the opera Overture to the soap opera. This is all mixing now. But that's what it is. There are three sort of human characters I want to focus on, but four. Let's call it four. Four main actors in this story. Let's just work our way through them. The first is by far and away the most important. The Lord. The Lord bestows blessing. That's what's going on in this section. The Lord bestows blessing. Before we get to the detail, let me just jump into the middle to make that point. Chapter 25, verse 23. Um, We had it read, but uh, um, uh, Rebecca's wondering what on earth's going on. There's war going on in her womb. And so what's going on, she asks the Lord, and the Lord tells her this. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. That's what's going to happen. Jacob will be the boss, and Esau will serve him, just so you know. Now, this is typical of the book of Genesis. The three main patriarchs, this happens each time. So the the Abraham cycle, chapters 12 uh, to 25, right at the beginning of chapter 12, you get verses 1 to 3, God says, Abraham, here's the rest of your life. I will bless you, you'll be a blessing to others. That's what's going to happen. You get the same thing here. At the beginning of infant, before Jacob's born, here is your life. You're going to fight all your life with your brother but the blessing will go to you. In the Joseph cycle, Joseph um, uh, chapter 37, right at the beginning of uh, that narrative, you get the famous dreams that Joseph has. 
mum and dad bowing down to him, his brothers bowing down to him. Hey, everyone, you're all going to bow down to me. And, and um, you know, well, we don't like you very much for that, and so on. Um, again, right at the beginning of the life, God says, here's what will happen. So all the way in Genesis, all of these major characters, God says, right, before we get going on your life, just so you know, I am sovereign. I determine what will happen. And then it, all unra- then it all follows out from that. But that point is made consistently uh, each time. Now this one here, uh, chapter 25, an interesting prophecy, I guess. Two nations in your womb, there's going to fight. The, uh, the older will serve the younger. I guess it's somewhat akin to, what, 50 years ago? Um, no, more than that. Uh, what about 60, uh, 65 years ago, uh, the queen receiving a prophecy. You're going to have three boys, Elizabeth... Charles, Andrew, Edward, and Edward will be the one who reigns as king, and the others will just have to suck it up, and they won't like it very much. And indeed, they wouldn't have liked it very much, you can probably guess. Um, That's unusual. Why would that be the case? The firstborn always becomes the monarch. It's the same sort of thing here. This is unusual. Why will Jacob get the blessing? The firstborn should inherit. That's just how it is culturally. It's odd that this is going on. God had made promises to Abraham. His son Isaac took on those promises, and the promises should go to the firstborn boy, culturally. It's not how God's going to do things. Because again, the Lord is asserting, just so we're clear, I'm in charge. I'm not bound by your culture. I choose who receives my blessing through which the whole world will be blessed. I decide that. He's very clear. And so you get it here in uh, chapter 25, verse 13. Why does, sorry, 23, why does God choose Jacob, the younger, rather than Esau, the older? Is it because, really, he doesn't like redheads? He doesn't like men who are hesut, uh, even if it's in the womb? They've not done anything yet. God chooses because he chooses. He chooses to give the blessing to Jacob and not Esau. Because that's, he's right. He decides who he will particularly have mercy upon. Now that's going to be very important for the rest of the narrative. But of course, biblically, that's just the doctrine of election. That God chooses to bestow mercy upon some but not upon all. It is his sovereign choice. So someone know, of course, these verses the Apostle Paul picks up on in uh, Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 9. Uh, some who are looking at that midweek will, will get there eventually uh, sometime. But here's Romans chapter 9, just picking up on those verses. Paul puts it, not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, who had done anything good or bad, no reason to choose one over the other. In order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she, Rebecca, was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it's written, Jacob, I loved Israel, I hated. What then shall we say? Is that unfair? Is God unjust? Not at all. He says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. God has done it this way, verse 12, 
so that it's very clear. People are blessed not because of what they do. You don't enter the kingdom of heaven because of what you do, not by works, but because he's kind, because it's a gift that he bestows. And so what Paul is making clear is that before the creation of the world, God chose that he would have mercy upon a fixed number of individuals. Not all, but he's chosen that. Now this is a heart-revealing truth. You know, I stand up and say, I know some here, even this evening, thinking... I know, I've heard this lots of times before, but I never like hearing it. Some will think, you don't have to suck in, but um, some will think, what? What? It's a heart-revealing truth. It reveals essentially whether, in the end, we're willing to say, God, you are God, and I submit to you, or I want to do things my way. Ultimately, it comes down to that. I'm being blunt. Most of us, of course, like to think it's not this way, that um, we all have complete freedom of choice. We're all free to choose whatever we want. But that's that's probably a little naive. Most of us, if you think about it, we recognize we're not completely free. There are choices slightly imposed upon us, or we're formed by the decisions of others. So, in one sense, I'm I'm a free man. I can do what I want. And yet, at the same time... um, I didn't decide to be white, English, or male. Those things have been imposed upon me. I didn't decide the family I would be born into, the village I would be born into, certainly didn't, um, (laughs) or the school I would go to. And yet all of those things have had a significant forming view upon my attitudes and how I view the world. I didn't choose any of those things. I didn't choose... The level of sporting ability I don't have. The level of music ability I don't have. I didn't choose my IQ level. I didn't choose any of those things. Not that free. Yes, of course, but of course I could stand and say, but given all those things, that those things have been put in place, I'm free. Well, that makes me utterly different from a woman who's born in Afghanistan in the 17th century. We're not free in the same way. Of course we're not. Nonsense to say that. And even now, I don't, I'm not completely free. I don't have the freedom to go on a wonderful two-week holiday on a personal Caribbean island. I lack the money to do such a thing. I don't have that sort of financial freedom. I don't have the freedom to say, I don't think I'll be ill this year. I don't have that freedom. Freedom's a complicated thing, but as soon as you start to think about it, there are lots of things in place that mean we're not entirely free. And yet the decisions we make are very uh, entirely our own, and they're not, there's no external compulsion upon us to make decisions in a certain way. They're meaningful, and we're responsible for the decisions we take. Yeah. And so when it comes to this truth, the Bible is clear that the Lord chooses before the creation of the world to have mercy upon some, but not upon all. And... The decisions we make to accept or reject them are entirely our own and we're responsible for them. And both those things are true. But here in Genesis 25, it's very clear. The Lord 
bestows blessing. Now, we'll have to come back to that at the end. That is a wonderful truth. Because it means that despite, in particular, Jacob's failings, he'll still be blessed because it's a gift of the Lord. The Lord bestows blessing. Now, these three, we, uh, the three human characters, we can push through a little more quickly um, uh, as we look at the, uh, the sort of main narrative of what's going on. So uh, the three human characters, we've got a pious patriarch, a scheming son, and a boorish brother. I was quite pleased with them. I don't care if you're not. <laughs> First then, the pious patriarch waits for blessing. Pious patriarch. That's Isaac. And as we meet him here, Isaac in the, the Genesis narrative is a... Is, is a I guess you'd say a fairly passive character, but here he starts off well before he uh, does less well in his older life. But um, uh, verse 19, here's Isaac then. Isaac, verse 20, he's 40 years old and he marries Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel. You can read all about their wooing uh, in the previous chapter. That's quite fun. But there's a problem, verse 21. She's barren. What a horrible word that is infertile, a miserable word. She was barren. Now, that's obviously heart-rending for any family. But it's also a sort of theological problem here, because God had promised that Isaac's descendants would be as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the grains of sand on the shore. Well, it ain't going so well. There's a problem. Now, what do you do if you're Isaac and your wife can't give birth. Well, he didn't have a great role model, if you remember, if you were here last year, because his dad, Abraham, had the same issue in Genesis chapter 16. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have any children, despite the fact that God had promised them. So if you were here, do you remember what did Abraham do? Um, Under pressure from his wife, he took a concubine and slept with her, Hagar, and had children through her, and disaster happened as a result of that. So the the role models Isaac's had have not been brilliant in his life. What's he going to do? Well, he does better. So verse 21, what does Isaac do when his wife is infertile? He prays. He prays. Then we get the details on the pregnancy in verse 26. How old are the children actually? Did you notice that when, when the, sorry, how old is Isaac when the kids are born? Verse 26, he's 60. We're a bright lot. Do the maths. How long has Isaac been praying? 20 years. That's a bit more impressive than his father. He didn't try and take a shortcut like Abraham did. Isaac said, the Lord has made a promise to me. Lord, I will pray to you. I will wait for you. I will trust you. I will trust your promise. I'm not going to do something slightly immoral to get the shortcut to get there. I'll trust and pray and wait. And in that, he's done well. Now, it must have been especially galling as he looked at his uh, brother, the immoral brother, uh, Isaac's brother, Ishmael. Um, he's the sort of uh, the pagan half-brother. What was going on? We didn't have it read, but um, you can see it's very obvious. Uh, chapter 25, verse 12. Here's the account of uh, uh, Ishmael. Verse 13. These are the names of his sons. Uh, Nebaioth, uh, Kedah, Abdul, Mibsam, anyway, whatever. And um, so your pagan half-brother, he's knocking out children left, right, and center. I mean, might laugh at them that he's given them the names of dwarves from the Lord, from the Hobbit or something. They've got funny names, but that's painful. Lord, 
you made a promise to me. I'm the one you're meant to bless. Things are meant to go well for me. My pagan half-brother, who's um, immoral, and look at them, verse 18, they're just hostile. Everyone hates them, and they're all angry, and they fight all the time. They're getting all the good stuff. They've got a massive family. Everything's going well for them, and we're meant to be the ones you love. And yet for us, it's not so good. Now, we see particularly, Isaac does well here. You see it particularly in the contrast with um, Jacob in a moment. But very practically, I mean, if nothing else, it's <laughs> one little uh, application. There are plenty of times, if you're a Christian, when you can look around at others and everything goes well. And you think, Lord, I'm, I'm a believer. I give up stuff for you. I work hard at following you. And yet, financially things are tough, or romantically, things are tough, or infertility, things are tough, or or career-wise, things are tough. And my pagan half-brother, these guys are just immoral and hate you. Everything goes well. I don't like it. And life is like that. Life is like that. In that sense, Isaac's a good role model. Trusted, prayed, he waited. Or as uh, once again, the, 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 it's a slow news day, so the, the story comes out in the press. The, the church in the United Kingdom is about to collapse once again. And uh, those who hate the church, they seem to be getting all the success. Don't try a shortcut, says Isaac. Trust the Lord. Trust him. Pray. Wait. There's the pious patriarch. He waits for blessing. Second little character, then, the, the, uh, the scheming son. The scheming son, by contrast, snatches blessing. But most of this chapter, that it focuses on these brothers, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, and, uh, in fact, most of this section, really, 25 to 35, is them and the fights they have. So this is just round one. Uh, and round one is in the womb. So let's start it early. Let's get the fight on. Um, so verse 22, the baby's jostled within Rebecca's womb. Actually, there's a slightly feeble translation. Literally, the Bible smashed each other. It's, a, it's the language of war that gets used uh, uh, throughout the book of Joshua. Smashing. The two brothers are smashing one another. Eventually, they come out. And, um, well, they're interesting. Well, they've, they're given names, sorry, first of all. Verse 24, when the time came of the the, the twin births, the first to come out was red. His name was, uh, his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Little footnote, hairy, red, also is Edom. After that, his brother came out with his mother, uh, with his uh, hand grasping Esau's heel. He's named Jacob, footnote, grasping the heel, deceiver. Now, those are interesting names to start off with, isn't it? There's uh, Rebecca uh, pushing, the, uh, pushing the babies, doing her shopping in, Jerus- and, sorry, in, um, uh, in uh, Sainsbury's. And if you've got twins, everyone stops and oohs and ahs. And, oh, they're nice. What are their names? Hairy Monster Heel Clutcher. <laughs> Ooh. Painful birth, was it? <laughs> okay, there are those, those are their names. And what else are we told? Well, verse 27, Esau... Esau is the very first redneck in the Bible. He's red, and he likes what? Well, you can see, see the sort of man he is. He likes his hunting, shooting, eating. He's that sort of man. He's her suit, and he looks like a gorilla. That's Esau. 
Jacob, by contrast, quiet man, stays amongst the tents, doesn't go far from home, doesn't leave the apron strings, loves his mummy. And so alarmingly, we're told, verse 28, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. It's getting old now, and Isaac has become a gourmand. You cook me a nice meal, you're my favorite. Rebecca, we're not told the detail, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Why? I don't know. Easier to manipulate? I don't know. You get that perhaps later on. Never good. You have favorites in a family, particularly if they divide the husband and wife. Anyway, that's, um, uh, we'll see all that play out in later weeks. Uh, now, very quickly, of course, before we look at this mainly with Esau, but uh, you just see Jacob snatching blessing. So the, uh, the main story, I guess you'd say, round two of the, the warfare comes in verse 29. Jacob comes home. Uh, he wants a stew. Give me something to eat. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. That's odd, isn't it? Your brother comes in, can I have something to eat? Yeah, if, as long as you sell me your, your birthright. I mean, it's not your sort of first reaction. Someone bursts in, if it's one of your housemates, spouse bursts in, oh, I'm famished. Give me all your inheritance. It's a slightly odd thing to say, isn't it? Why, what have you been doing today, mate, dear? To delete one of the above. The, um, do you get the impression Jacob has been scheming on this for a while? So it goes on, why not give your brother some stew, Jacob? What's wrong with you? Why are you so mean? Verse 33, he insists upon an oath. Swear it to me. It looks like he's been planning this for some time. So here's the odd thing about Jacob. God has promised, and he'd have known this from his mum. He loves his mum. His mum loves him. They'd have been talking about this. Don't worry about hairy monster. You're the one who'll get the blessing. That's what he's heard as he's grown up. God has promised he'll get the blessing. Why does he need to steal it? Why has he been so mean here to sort of grasp it away from his brother? God has promised this to him. Why snatch it before the right time? Very odd. I think we're meant to see the contrast. Isaac longs for a child, patiently waits, prays to the Lord. Jacob has got the promise also. Snatches, can't wait, wants it now. Again, I think there we're meant to notice that's not right. That's not the way. The Lord has made promises. Wait for them prayerfully. That's the scheming son to snatch his blessing. We'll come back to him in a moment. But let's spend a little bit more time on the boorish brother. The boorish brother who despises blessing. Let's look at this uh, incident from uh, Esau's perspective. So verse 29, Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau came in from the open country famished. He said said to Jacob in his East End accent, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. Literally, please let me swallow the red stuff. This red stuff. Sort of pun going on here. Harry the Red wants the red stuff. Very abrupt. Jacob gives him the cost. Well, you could have some red stuff, verse 31, but you'll need to give me your birthright. Verse 32, oh, look, I'm at the point of death. What good is this birthright to me? Really at the point of death? I mean, you seem to be managing to carry on a decent conversation here, Esau. You're just greedy, you lemon. Um, But no, he demands it. So verse 33, he sells the birthright. 
And then verse 34, Jacob gives him the stew. We've not been told, but here we're told it's lentil stew. I mean, it's not even fine games. You know, it's pretty feeble, if you, you may like your lentils. But it's not a thick, meaty stew. But red man, he's given up everything. But he doesn't even savor the moment. Verse 30, sorry, verse 34, these staccato verbs. He ate, he drank, got up, left. If you've given up your inheritance, you might want to savor the meal. Not that he's likely to do it. But if Prince Charles decided that he was going to forfeit the throne for his son, and the, what he got in return for giving up the right to be king was a fabulous meal, I mean, he would at least sit down and enjoy it rather than just eat, quick, slap, down, get out. I mean, it's very odd. Well, we're told what's going on very clearly in verse 34. He despised his birthright. This is the blessing of God. This is not just, ah, Jacob, you have the portrait of great uncle Bulgaria and the candlesticks. You have those things. I'm not bothered. This is not just he's giving up a little inheritance. This is the promise of God that all would go well with you and your descendants would bless the world. This is an enormous thing. So I don't think it's just, where verse 34, he despised his birthright. It's not just that Esau made a calamitous decision in one moment. But that he'd got himself to a place where he didn't care what God thought about him. He didn't care about the blessing upon his life. He's been very foolish. Now, two of the things. First, you could look at this and say God's choice of Jacob over Esau, that we were told we looked at that verse 23 right at the beginning, you could say that's unfair. But you see here in this story, the Lord takes something away from Esau, the birthright, the blessing, but he doesn't care. He despises God's blessing. This is not the Lord wrenching away from him something that he longs for. It's God saying, Esau, you don't care about that, I'm taking it. And Esau saying, you're too right, I don't care. And just storming off. And in truth, that's how it is with election. Those who refuse to place their faith in Jesus Christ. God never snatches that away. It's a warning. I don't know where you stand. But some will know friends, families. Just not interested. Just not interested. God is not snatching away from them something they long for. They don't care. The story is clear. If anyone is blessed by the Lord, it is because of his sovereign election. But if anyone is rejected, it's because of their responsibility in despising the blessing of the Lord. I guess the obvious application or the main one from the life of Esau comes, uh, we had it read, didn't we, in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, when uh, the writer, it may be worth turning back, but um, I can read it for you. Uh, The writer then He says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 14 downwards. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, 
who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. The writer of the Hebrews is writing to a group of people who've called themselves believers but are in danger of throwing the faith away, of saying, oh, I'm not interested anymore. And he says to them, don't allow bitterness to grow up in you, a bitter root, to the extent where you could be like Esau and trade eternal glory for a moment of pleasure. That is a ridiculous trade. Don't swap eternal blessing in glory with the Lord for a moment of pleasure in this life. And of course we all think, no, Esau was a fool. I'm not going to make that trade. But London is a city where there's a lot of red stuff. I don't suppose you would trade the Christian life for a bowl of lentil stew. That's not the issue, is it? Red stuff. I want that red stuff. There's plenty of red stuff in London. Financially. Sexually. There's loads of red stuff. When the temptation to grab a a moment's pleasure and exchange that for eternal glory is there. Not one mistake. It's not saying that. But you can allow, says the writer to the Hebrews, a bitterness to grow up within you towards the Lord. Where your default setting is you grab the red stuff and you leave eternity behind. Do not be a fool like Esau, the writer says. There's the boorish brother. Let's come back to the Lord. Esau, Esau then, what have we got with Esau? Esau is a coarse hunter with no faith. He doesn't care. What have you got with uh, Jacob? Jacob, well, he's a cultured farmer with immature faith, I think you'd have to say at this point. Which is, which is the better of the two? I mean, who do you like more at this stage of the story? I mean, neither are very pleasant. Hairy monster, heel snatcher, who's your favorite? In fact, in fact, it's just genuinely, who is the least pleasant of the two? Hands up. Hairy monster or heel snatcher? Who dislikes hairy monster most? This is genuine. I'm just waking you up. <laughs> who dislikes heel snatcher most? Yeah, at least Esau's a man's man. I mean, he hunts, you know. At least he's not a mother's boy. At this stage of the, of the story, you think Esau's got a bit more going for him, perhaps. Jacob is the one who receives the blessing. He's not worthy of it. That's the main point. Why does Jacob get blessing and not Esau? Because God has chosen him. He's not worthy of it. The Lord bestows blessing. God's grace is not a reward for noble behavior. But if you receive God's grace, it will change your behavior and make you more noble. It'll work that way around. So as we begin to look at these characters, why should you and I receive the blessing of salvation Have we earned it? We have not. We have not. Do we deserve it? We do not. I'm reflecting on that that this week, and um, I don't want to be boring and sort of 
I say a duff thing, but I think it's true. The older you get, you just get a bit more grateful that you're still a Christian sometimes. I make so many mistakes. I'm so stupid at times in the Christian life. But God keeps me. That's wonderful news. That he is the one who bestows blessing. We don't earn it for ourselves. God gives grace to Jacob when he's underserving. God has a lot of work to do in the life of Jacob. If you're a Christian, he has a lot of work to do in your life too. And in mine. He's not finished. But praise him that he bestows blessing because he's merciful. Not because of how you perform. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we've sung already, your grace is vast and free. If we're trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can sing that it knew me before eternity. It called me before my birth. And you've called us to bring glory to you. Thank you that your grace is abounding, strong, true. It turns us from our selfish pride to love the cross on which you died. Thank you for your grace, which has mercifully chosen us if we're believers. Father, that raises questions, of course. But will we be thankful and trust that your promises will never let us go and give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen.